Hey everybody, once again, welcome back to another episode of Behind the Pursuit. From bourbon to brand, however you found us, we're so glad you're here as we get behind the scenes with the Pursuit Spirits brand. I'm your host, Brian Bikey, and joining me again, the band is back. We have Kenny and Ryan joining us on the show tonight. Is Ryan the lead singer? If the band's it's not together? me. <laughs> I just play a mean triangle. That's what I can do. Uh, I'll take drums or backs. Uh, I can't be a lead singer. <laughs> can... All right. Somebody's got to be a guitarist. I mean, you've seen, you've seen me at karaoke, you know. <laughs> You're right. Tip, yeah, Tiffany pretty... can be the lead singer. I'll be back up to her. She's, she likes that. Yeah. <laughs> You're definitely in the background just going, yeah. That's right. I can't read words, so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they scroll too fast for you, buddy. Exactly. Well, we did catch a break in between all of your all's traveling. Actually, Ryan, recently, you visited our partners at Sagamore. Can you yeah. talk about that a little bit? The last time Kenny and I went to Sagamore, we had an incredible time, and it's a beautiful facility, awesome staff, team that we're so fortunate to be able to work with and you know went up there it's been about a year and a half i guess since we had been and uh, just kind of say hey and see what what's going on talk to the team uh actually trying some different mash bills and some different things and then also too they invite us to come see the ravens play the bills which was pretty cool um my father-in-law is a huge lamar jackson fan uh, who went to university of louisville and Brian and them were gracious enough to say, hey, next time you come up, let's uh, take you to the game. Um, so we went and spent a day at the distillery on Saturday, hung out at the Pendry, which is the Sagamore Hotel as well. Had like seven too many Sagamore Old Fashions. You have, if you're in the Baltimore area, you got to go to the Sagamore Pendry, the distillery. Fantastic team. They really are, I mean, just knocking out of the park. I mean, it's, I was tasting some of their different mash bills and just, different things they got going on. And I mean, they're, they're distilling team. I mean, for how young they are, they, they really got it dialed in and I'm, I'm just super thankful we get to work with them and still excited for their future and our future together. So we just signed a lifetime contract with them. We saw we're blood, you know, in blood with them. So we're excited to, to be with them. And yeah, I had a great trip. I'm really tired because I had a great time there. <laughs> kind of jealous. I miss, I miss going to Baltimore. It looked like it was a good time. I know, because the last time we were in Baltimore, I mean, I wasn't there much longer. I think I was there 36 hours today. <laughs> then the last time we were there was only like 24 hours. And so we, I got to do a longer, we got to do like a three-day thing or something. One of these days. Kenny, you've been on the road. How's uh, How are things going with you? You know, getting some Marriott points, getting some Enterprise rental car points. <laughs> I guess you could say that's the positive out of it. No, actually, it's it's all been positive. It's one of those things that, you know, this is... Uh, this, it's a lot harder to do this than I thought it was going to be. Not to say it's hard to just drive around and shake hands and sign bottles. It's, that's not hard. It's it's making sure that you're taking the time away from the other obligations that you need to be doing to make sure that you're making this a success. I mean, that's kind of the hardest part right now is understanding that, it, you know, we can't live on the podcast alone. We've got to make sure that we go out, we work the market, we have to be good compadres to our distributors and everything like that. It's a, it's constant marketing. That's kind of what we're, we're realizing is that this game is, it doesn't just sit still, is that you have to be constantly in the face of the consumer. You have to be constantly doing something to help push and promote your bottles, whether that's, you know, point of sale, whether you have somebody in the store doing tastings for you or something like that. But part of this is to say that, you know, what have I been up to? Yeah, I did my trip to Ohio. We've got Chicago 
coming up here next week, Tennessee the week after that. And so I'm, I'm really excited to kind of just, again, meet more people. It's, it is a little surreal to sit there and show up at a store. And then all of a sudden there's 10 people waiting in line to sit there and buy a bottle from you and shake your hand and get it signed by you. I mean, I'm just glad that the the pen we got, there was a lot of research that went into figuring out the exact oh, that pen. pen. But the <laughs> pen, the pen is very forgiving to actually make a really cool looking signature. It looks my it looks like garbage if I write my signature on a piece of paper, but that pen that we got, it looks like it looks pretty snazzy on a, on our on our black label. So I'm kind of excited about that. But like I said, it's it's forgiving with that. But it's just been a really good opportunity so far to be able to just meet a lot of listeners out there, meet fans of the show. I'm just glad that they like the whiskey. I think that makes it 10 times better. And it's just one of the things that we have to keep going back and, and making sure that, you know, the people that listen to us, they are definitely the, the, the bourbon enthusiasts. They are the hardcore whiskey consumer. And if you do like it, you know, the best way to kind of get everybody else on board is you got to share it with them. You got to teach them and show them the way that, United is, uh, it's not just another four to five year old whiskey, right? I mean, I feel that what we're doing out, it, it competes with a lot of the big boys. It competes with a lot of the other brands that are also in the four to six year old category that the same exact price point. And I think we're putting out a superior product and I'm just excited to be able to grow that brand and, and keep continuing to put the word out there. We're still trying to, I think we got our pitch down, you know, our, our elevator pitch down dialed in. It's a uh, you know, at first it used to take an hour to explain it, and, and now we got it down to about you know three to four minutes. Um, but it's it's been fun and challenging. You know, we thought we had a great platform with the podcast, which we do, but you know, we've quickly realized that that's only going to get you so far. And even you know, I think we talked about even our diehard fans still don't really trust us to buy a four or five year old whiskey. And, you know, is that education getting liquid, liquid to lips, getting in front of consumers. Kenny has done a fantastic job with that in Ohio. Continue that. And to see, we had, we had a great outing showing at, uh, you know, well, we've done three events here in Louisville now or two or three. So that was nice to be back in our. Oh yeah. And Doc's bourbon room. Shout out for that one. Yeah. John Shoemaker helped us get that going. And I, that that was the opening thing to me. It was like on a Monday night, how many people are roaming around Main Street downtown Louisville, you know, just looking for bourbon stuff to do and great food and whiskey. And we met a lot of great people. We had somebody come from, well, they didn't come from Korea to meet us, but they were <laughs> having to be there from Korea, which was very cool. Yeah, it's just been a fun, challenging learning experience about how do you build a whiskey brand? You know, you kind of, as a whiskey geek, you take for granted all the the grinding and hard work. It's not just having a good product. It's also getting out there, sharing your story, connecting with individuals, and hopefully getting them to share your story as well. There's no field of dreams, is there? (laughs) No, it's not. If you just bottle it, they'll come. No, it's been fun. So I'm Kenny's going to Tennessee next week, and I'm going to stop in Knoxville and then, then Texas. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of cool things. I think that's one thing that we're going to know is that this is not going to be something that we just do once and it's done. I think we'll be able to do a few of these throughout the year and kind of scatter them around and stuff like that and kind of just make market visits and and whatnot. So excited to be able to do more of these in the future too. On the on the topic uh, of this really, and, and as it pertains to brand and coming off of the brand recognition topic that we did several episodes back, uh, we had a question from... Uh, listener Steve to the podcast, and he wanted us to talk about 
the thought of brand loyalty. And so this actually is really good. I think this is really interesting coming off of, if you listen to the last episode that we had with Jay West, we were talking about whether or not the general consumer these days, if they have brand loyalty and what that looks like for them nowadays. So it's an interesting topic kind of saying, is the consumer leaning that way or what things can we do and outside of bourbon? You know, what do we do? Are there brands that we stay loyal to? So we're just going to kind of dive into brand loyalty in general. And I'll, I'll start the topic off really with the question of, you know, how do companies, whether they're bourbon related or otherwise, nowadays, maybe even a history, you know, how have they been successful creating and maintaining brand loyalty? And where do you all think we presently are or are going in regards to how companies are doing it successfully or will need to maybe pivot in order to be successful maintaining that brand loyalty? Well, I'll, I'll kind of kick this off. And it, it, this is, it is a double-edged sword when I, when I think about this. And if, if I have to lean one way or the other, and by the way, I also want to say that Steve Breen, the one that made this, this particular question, he is definitely brand loyal to us. I love Steve. Steve's a great guy. So cheers, Steve. Thanks for, thanks for putting that out there for us. But if I had to lean one way or another, I'm going to say that most consumers aren't brand loyal. Most consumers today are, are always chasing the shiny red ball. It doesn't matter where it comes from. It, if, or if somebody comes out and it's a double digit something, if it's from Heaven's Door, if it's from Four Roses, if it's from name any other 60 different distilleries, if it's a double digit something, people are just going to go ahead and shift and, and move focus to somewhere else. I think you do have some people that are enthusiasts to the point where they they don't, it's not to say that they're not loyal, that they're just like, oh, like I don't care about this brand anymore. They'll join the Facebook group, you know, like Bill and Bob, they have the Four Gate Whiskey group in there. And there will be people that consistently post stuff about Four Gate Whiskey. Are they brand loyal? I don't know if they're brand loyal. They're they're brand curious, I think is the way to kind of look at that. Um, and, you know, they'll they'll go out, but I'm not going to say that they're going to, every, every person in there is going to drop money on every single Four Gate release, much less to say, I don't think ever, there's not going to be uh, the vast majority of people that have bought a bottle of Pursuit United, we'll buy every single release of Pursuit United, even though I hope you would, because we want to make things a little bit different. But there will be some people that will be brand loyal. So I'd say for the vast majority of people, they aren't only because there are people that want to just chase the next thing you want to. And this is this is just from a pure bourbon enthusiast perspective is that most consumers nowadays, they want a garden variety. They want to a potpourri, if you will, of types of whiskeys, like just a bunch of different stuff. And you can't be brand loyal with doing that. As much as it is to cool to see, you know, somebody's, you know, shelf on the wall and they've got 40 different store picks of Weller 107, that's that's great and all. Does that make you brand loyal? Or does that just make you chasing after something? I'm I'm not too concerned with uh, with some folks like that. I think that there's the majority of people out there, they'll have maybe one or two bottles of something. They'll have one or two bottles of something else. And so they're consistently trying to try a lot of different things. So that's that's the way I'd, I'd kind of initially lean. The second part of your question is, is, you know, what can people do or how can brands start establishing and figuring out like, how does brand loyalty start? How do you build that? How do you build that trust with your consumer? And this is a very tough question because 
when you're continually, as I had mentioned at the very top of the show, you're continually fighting for attention in this space. You're continually fighting to make sure that you are uh, top of mind as somebody else. You are submitting to award shows and competitions and you're like, oh, we got a gold medal for this and that. And so you're just constantly just putting stuff out there just to put stuff out there. I will say that you have to do something that is going to last, make a lasting impression on somebody. And it's really hard to create brand loyalty off of one bottle. I don't think that's possible. I, the only way I think you create brand loyalty is by experience. And whether that's a one-on-one scenario, whether that's going on me traveling to all these different places and I get to meet somebody and I'm not going to say I'm taking it for granted that I'm meeting a hundred people as I'm doing this, but maybe to that one person, me spending three or four minutes sitting and talking to them about what they're going with, what they're doing, the whiskey, who they shared, who they shared it with, how they learn about the podcast, you know, what do they think of it? That could actually mean something that could mean something where they are, you know, finding that as a, as a real value to them, because all of a sudden they have that experience. They have that one-on-one interaction with me, with somebody that is a, a front and center of the company. And so at that point, maybe that's something that, 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 that does start establishing that brand loyalty. I will say one of the, the best ways that I've seen brand loyalty be established that continues to run to this day is the folks from Smooth Ambler. They run Dramble, or was it Dramblery, Drambledry? whatever it's called. Basically, it's a it's a weekend that they invite, you know, 100, 150 of their closest people that like to come in from out of town. They have a single barrel selection that gets done. They do fishing or tasting samples. It's kind of analogous to what we did with Pursuit Palooza. You know, it's, it's one of those very personable type of experiences that will help you drive a little bit closer connection with that brand. Um, and, and hopefully that's something that I think that we could try to build on as well is that everything is going to be more experiential. Don't get me wrong. You can build brand loyalty if you have like one solid knockout of like home run of a product and it's like, oh, wait, they've been coming out with 16-year-old bourbon every single time. I would say that, you know what? I'll take it back. I, I feel like I'm flip-flopping here. I will say that one brand that I feel that has done very good at brand loyalty with just their whiskey alone is Old Carter. I think they're doing a fantastic job. You see people all the time, they're posting about it. They go and they collect a bunch of it. They have it in their backdrop. Um, Mark and Sherry Carter are great people. They're probably always out, but I guarantee you, they they probably have not been able to shake and do that one-on-one experience with every single one of those people. So there is a, it's a very rare circumstance that you build it just off the whiskey alone. However, to be able to build that brand loyalty, it has to be some sort of experiential type of treatment. I'm going to, Disagree with Kenny and all the everything no. <laughs> on all the above. <laughs> so, you know, there's two kinds of consumers. There's the whiskey geek who, um, who does not like Kenny talks about does not have brand loyalty and they're constantly chasing, you know, the same thing. But within that whiskey geek, they do have brand loyalty. I think uh, at least I've noticed this. Like, I've noticed even though whiskey geeks will chase everything, like Brian, for instance, he is like <gasps> Mister Diehard. Four Roses, like no matter what they're going to put out. Same thing with like Russell's, you know, some people are just like, I mean, hell, you got somebody with a rare bird who has a, you know, following over one brand. Whiskey Geeks, while they do chase everything, I do think they have one brand that they kind of latch on to. For me, like I'm always, my heart's going to be always with Heaven Hill products. Even though I love trying new things, I'm always going to go back to uh, 
you know, a Heaven Hill type of product, even though now I'm mostly just drinking what we're having, whatever we're working on. That's going to be my brand loyalty. But um, I just look at my friends and I, you know, I have some friends that will strictly just buy 175s of Old Forester, no matter what. That's all. And they're like, ah, you know, you can put me this in bourbon that I know I'm going to drink Old Foe no matter what. Or same thing with Maker's Mark. You know, they're buying liters of handles and Maker's Mark, you know, always. Maker's did that, was one of the, kind of the first brands to kind of really latch on to like, to me anyways, trying to build that brand loyalty and try to create connection and something unique with, you know, the ambassador program. They were kind of one of the first ones to do that, you know, with the wax coasters and we make fun of that now, but makers, when I was, you know, getting into this was like, okay, I'm, I'm drinking the high dollar stuff and I got a wax coaster. I'm wearing a makers t-shirt. I feel pretty cool. Something that I can connect to the brand. And so I don't, I I don't know how you, it's a pretty crowded market right now. And how do you build? Yes, you want you know, people chasing, you know, your cool, rare one-off stuffs. Cause those people are always going to be interested in that whiskey geeks anyways, cause we're always like, but how do you build, you know, that consistent where they're like, okay, this is something that I can latch onto and drink multiple times a week, not just like one time, you know, get a fancy bottle because it's a LTO or whatnot, you know, like Brian, why did four roses great? Why do you choose that? Was it simply just the flavors? Was it, Barrel picks, you know, why did you latch onto that? Interesting question. I think as a whiskey geek and into what Kenny was saying too, you know, I've tried a lot of things, but I think in that too, I don't think the diversity of all this and that on my shelf has ever been the big thing. Like I've, I want to make sure that whiskey that I have is whiskey that I want to drink, but also to something that Kenny was mentioning about the experiential part, you know, I think part of it is because as a brand, I've seen Four Roses do a lot of, you know, through their Mellow Moments Club. They have these events that they'll do lotteries for, and not just for a bottle release, but for when they came out with the small batch select, or this is just a, a a dinner that we do at Father's Day, or all these sorts of things. So I think it felt like the extent to which they go out of their way in those regards was kind of like Maker's Mark does. So I think they're one of the brands that I see do that as well or close to as well as maker's mark and then just hitting in the flavor profile that i like i feel like it's pretty cheap barrel strength aged whiskey that's better than the the ten dollars a year rule that we used to see and when i first started getting into them they were a lot easier to find around town than they are now pretty accessible hits the flavor point and then kind of even more slightly emotional with that it's just something that i was able to to do some events that, and things i was able to do with my dad and so i you know it was just kind of one of these brands that i'm like you know this is this just kind of brings everything home he was into whiskey before i got into whiskey we both kind of got into whiskey. It's one of these kind of ways that we were both able to to kind of bond together. And so it's kind of always hold, held a special place as something that we both kind of connected on, which is a little different than the experiential part that you mentioned. But yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of different variants and especially, uh, Ryan, what you were mentioning where there's a lot of competition. There is something to be said to not have to fight with all the other allocated drops that are coming out all the time and having to keep up with everything that's going on and, and 
chasing that down. How are you going to find it? Or you, you have to do X, Y, and Z with, with the store. Or you have to, you know, follow this truck around or pay this amount of money. It's nice to just be like, you know what? This particular product's going to have variance to a little bit of a degree, meaning that every bottle I get will have something a little bit different. And that's enjoyable while still staying kind of similar in profile. With Four Roses, for example, and you know, I know you're big into their single barrels, but has that like got you to buy like, say, like a small batch select or, you know, any of the like, I guess, more available everyday items of theirs? Or are you strictly just like, Barrel picks and and whatnot. Are you crushing yellow label every week? That's the that's the well, well, not even yellow label, but like small batch select or small batch or you know. Yeah, when it first came out, I thought that small batch select was kind of like this middle ground from regular everyday kind of shelfer stuff to limited edition. It's still a little on the youthful side, but there are some nuances about it that I feel like are a little bit more similar to how at least Brent Elliott presently blend stuff for the limited editions. But I still think that the small batch select and the regular single barrel that you get in the store are pretty good values for for what's there on the shelf. The single barrel specifically, just the 100 proofer, that's usually would be in one of my lists that I would give people to say, hey, you should check this out. I don't know that you'll learn if you like Four Roses profile based on that because that's a weird thing about their brand specifically is I don't think their regular mainstay products really showcase what they could do all that well. They're, you know, a lot of people are like, I don't like Four Roses. And I'm like, well, I kind of don't blame you. You know, yellow labels <laughs> a little unassuming and the other products are, you know, kind of specific too. So, but I would say small batch select and single barrel. Yeah, I pick those up if I, if I need to or to go over an event or to use for a cocktail, the single barrel specifically because... I like something that's at least, you know, 100 proof or bottled in bond or something for making cocktails with. You made a good point, and it kind of reminds me of before the whiskey bug really bit me. And if you're listening to a whiskey podcast, you have to think about a few years before you started <laughs> listening to us and before you really got into this is, is what what did you do? Me personally, I was buying Kentucky Tavern, went up to very old Barton when I had the six-year age statement. Then I moved and I would splurge on four rows of small batch like that was that was my thing i mean that was my post-grad sort of go-to i was just had the same two or three bottles all the time and that's what i would roll through until until i started venturing out and getting you know eagle rare and a rock hill farm and some other things and i that was back then i didn't even know that was all made by the same company this was me just kind of looking at the what's on the shelf and oh that's got a pretty horse that's got an eagle on it that's pretty cool let's go ahead and drink that so at, at some point, you, you kind of just... You sound like the consumers now. I much. <laughs> yeah. well, wait, I can collect all the letters? Heck yeah, I'm in. I mean, I think that's that's one of those things that if you get burned the first time... I, I, I remember my first bottle of Rock Hill Farm that I ever got, it took me over probably two years to finish it off because it was terrible. I didn't like yeah, it. Yeah, I've never I, liked it ever. And still, I, I, I wrote it off forever. And so that was one of the things is that I immediately became a not brand loyal to Rock Hill Farms, uh, not knowing that it was even from Sazerac at the time. But I just said, like, I'm not going to drink this ever again. But I still kind of ventured off into Eagle Rare territory and some other things. So I don't know. I, I kind of see that if you are getting into this and you find a product at the right point, right price point, and it doesn't burn you that you become a little brand loyal to it until, I guess, the the exploration bug kind of really 
rears its head and says like, you know, go try something else. Back to the, your question earlier, or Ron, your, your remark earlier about Maker's Mark. When I think about brand loyalty and Maker's Mark, yes, they did a lot of good things at the brand ambassador side of the world and being able to create something that you became a part and you became somebody that could be a, a basically a, an ambassador of the brand. But to, even before then, people were still picking up Maker's Mark and people thought you know, it, was the, it was the high class. And, and a lot of this was because of marketing. Uh, they had fantastic marketing today. They still have fantastic marketing. And one of those old timey marketing uh, newspaper ads actually had a bottle of Maker's Mark on it and says, um, it tastes expensive because it is, even though it really wasn't that expensive. So do you think that you can build brand loyalty just off of good marketing? Ugh, I don't know if anymore, because I mean, there's so much coming at you from a consumer side. I mean, you're getting, I mean, my Facebook feeds, my Instagram are just like marketing mark. You know, it's like, there's so much noise that you just kind of ignore it all. Um, it really takes like a connection, like an intimate moment, like for me, I was like, if it ain't from Bardstown, I ain't drinking it, you know, back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, like, I would shun off, like, F Russell's and Four Roses and this and that, even though my grandfather worked there. But he worked, you know, when it was Seagram's a long time ago. But anyways, but what got me to, like, try Russell's was I was at a liquor barn and Jimmy Russell was there <laughs> pouring Russell's Reserve and got to talk to him for, like, 10 minutes and then I was like oh that was first time I ever drank Russell's Reserve you know and I didn't know it could be I didn't know turkey could taste like that you know I, and it was just that connection and it got me okay now I'm interested in this and looking at single barrel picks and this and that and then we got to do our own and then you go hang out with Eddie in the warehouse and Bruce and now you're like okay this is I'm not like Rare Bird or anything but I, I'm a huge Russell's fan um, because of that initial you know, just meeting Jimmy at a liquor store and liquor barn. And there was like maybe three people there, you know, talking to him. It wasn't like he was just like sitting in a rocker chair, people coming up, talking to him. You know, it's, this is the anomaly with some brands that I'm like trying to figure out because they don't really have, you know, like smoke wagon, which has a great following and they're not, they don't do barrel picks. Not really that many, you know, they used to do some, but you know, it's just this small batch uncut unfiltered, you know, and Aaron does a fantastic job at Instagram and marketing. And I don't care how many A, B, C, D, E, F, Gs of uncut, unfiltered. It's MGP, five, six year MGP pulling it together. But it, and I'm not knocking it. He sells the shit out of it. And it's like, I'm trying to like understand like, okay, that is all marketing selling that stuff, you know? And so I think you can have it uh, both ways. I guess he's just a great storyteller and good connection person. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, do you think you can build it on marketing alone? I mean, obviously you have to have good product and Smoke Wagon has a great product. It's very good when you try it. I mean, it, well, it's I feel good. That Smoke Wagon, it, they, they were a product of a, the, the MGP chase of a few years ago. They were ones that, you know, you look at like what happened to Blom Brothers and a few other ones that as okay, everybody- yeah, and Smooth every, Ambler or whatever way. Yeah, when Smooth Ambler, I mean, Smooth Ambler was probably the original, right? Smooth Ambler was the original where you could go and you could get 10 to 14 year old single barrels of MGP 36% and people were just swooping them up left and right because all of a sudden- MGP wasn't a dirty word anymore. Everybody kind of really loved it. Everybody latched onto it. And as soon as 
what happened? Smooth Ambler got depleted. Then people started fanning out and figuring out, okay, who else has got this stuff? And so they went and basically just tapped dry every single distillery that was out there. And every every single distillery that had any aged product, eight, eight and older, basically got, you know, ransacked. Good for them because they sold everything really quickly, which is fantastic. But Smoke Wagon was the only one that still had more MGP barrels in its arsenal. Granted, they weren't the same 10 to 12 years that they used to have, but now they're down to five and six years. But it's it's something that they were still continually able to keep up with the existing demand. And so all of the, and then again, this is just theory, all the original chasers, the one that started this whole hype of you know basically depleting everything with these old age stocks, they got everything that they needed and got out. But now this new wave of people came in and they didn't know that the other people got out of it. So they, people are still thinking that they're chasing all the, all the old stuff. Again, just a theory that they think that they're, they're chasing the, you know, the things that people were chasing a few years ago. But again, not trying to knock the juice or anything like that. That's just a theory on consumer behavior. Well, no, it, it is hard. It is challenging from a brand perspective. Like you want, you want the whiskey geeks to embrace you and, and to, but they'll, they've proven time and time again, they'll suck you dry and then leave you. You know, as soon as you're out of what they want, the, 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 there is no loyalty. They just move on to the next, to the next type. And so it's like, how do you as a brand, like, you know, you want to appeal to them, but you want them to, to hang around too. And, and maybe that's a thing is that do brands need the loyalty of the hardcore whiskey consumer? Because it, don't be wrong. We, we do. We, we still want your loyalty. I'm not trying to say that. I'm, I'm, theorizing this out here it's saying that if if brands or sorry if people are using the brands to get what they want maybe the brands can use them to get what they want because as soon as the whiskey geeks come in they find something they like it gets hype people latch on to it and then all of a sudden you know the ogs in it no longer want it but then it just has this trickle effect with, with like now the masses are coming to it i mean it's not that it's it's the, the early adoption curve that's what this is at the end of the day. It's the early adoption curve where you see the people that are getting into it. They're the ones that right there at the top of the bell curve, uh, or should I say the one at the very beginning. And then as soon as the bell curve keeps going, it's mass market and everything like that. So, and not to say that, you know, please do that to us. I don't care. Like <laughs> come bleed us dry as much as you want, because uh, that would be great to be able to have. But I, I, th- I still think at the end of the day, there's a way that there is a, there's a balance and a harmony that comes between this is that. The, the whiskey geeks are always looking for the next great thing. And brands need the whiskey geeks to be able to basically show and prove that story. That's kind of what we're trying to do is that even though I feel that we speak directly to the whiskey geek, we still have to infiltrate a lot of the, the whiskey geekdom and the territories that are out there. Because I know that people that might listen to us, they might know, might, might know us, but they probably haven't tried our product. And so we have to break that barrier. We have to get beyond that. And we've got to turn them into believers. We got to make them show that, you know, we can create and we can put out a great product. And hopefully that makes them brand loyal, even for a little bit, but it's something that will hopefully drive even more people because what do you do with something that you love? You tell five or six people about it. And that's the one thing you want to be able to do is, is kind of help build that word of mouth marketing engine. Who's currently, you know, building brand loyalty and like building momentum, I guess. And, you know, I think of like our partners at Barstown Bourbon Company and like they really, you know, haven't released any exclusively of their product yet. 
but they've built with the visit, you know, the restaurant, the whole hospitality, doing future barrel picks, doing cool collaborations and like really just going really above and beyond in the hospitality side and connection side have built like this pretty good following and they haven't even really released their first product yet. You know, like I said, I think connection and experience experiences are really a new way of, because people want to be, they want to be entertained basically, you know, going on a whiskey trail or going to a wine tour or this or that. They like having fun things to do and memorable experiences. It's not just getting you the, the cheapest, you know, old foe handle and mixing it with seven up, you know, they, they, they really want to elevate, you know, their, their experience sides of things. And, it, and I think that's a new way that whiskey brands can help uh, build loyalty as well as through like an experiential type thing. And that's maybe where we've been probably lacking, not having a location and not having somewhere where people can connect our story to, you know, whereas they probably just think we're, you know, tater podcaster sourcing stuff and throwing it in a bottle and just sitting it on shelves and stuff. So it's not really, you know, it's hard to take us seriously because you don't have that, uh, you know, that place where people can come and like be sit and be with your brand. So quarterly paloozas, is that one you need to throw? <laughs> quarterly paloozas. Yeah, it is. Yes. <laughs> My party planning just can't handle that right now. So let's get away from bourbon just for a little bit. What other brands, are there any other brands you guys are loyal to and why? Are you like Team Nike versus Team Adidas? Are you Apple versus... There's just Apple. Uh, we don't even I'm have Apple, to talk about for sure. You know, Android users, uh, or you know, Coke versus Pet. You know, are there? Are, are there are yeah, I was there like, brands? as soon as I text somebody and see the green bubbles, like ah, this is going to be a quick conversation. It's not actually a real friend. Yeah. I don't really need to know you. Um, <laughs> yeah. Drastic. What other brands are you guys loyal to, and why? Uh, so I will say, at least for me, there's there's a few. Uh, I can name one off the top of my head is when I think of anytime I buy appliances, I buy GE. And that's because my grandfather worked for General Electric for his entire life. My parents owned lots of stock in GE at one point. And so we have a, a, a brand loyalty to that. When I was, and then this is, this is basically just going to having skin in the game. When I was in college, this is, this is kind of funny. So when I was in college, I've told the story a few times, but me and my roommate, Chris, we were the, he was the lead social chair. I was like assistant to the social chair. And that basically meant that you threw the parties every single week and you're the ones talking to the sorority, you're setting it up, you're going to the, the party house hours beforehand, setting it up, you're doing all the booze runs. Uh, long story short, this was also the time when like bourbon was really getting us big. So at our house parties, we would always do massive bourbon and Coke, well, bourbon and Coke pitchers. It was basically a, a, a handle of Kentucky Tavern to two two liters. And we went with Diet Pepsi. And I always made him buy Diet Pepsi because I owned stock in Pepsi at the time. And so whenever we'd go, we'd go to CVS or whatever it was to go and buy everything. We would buy two liters of Pepsi and nobody questioned it. But that was uh, that was my brand loyalty moment back in college. I hate to say it. This sounds lame, but I've been very loyal to High Noon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> In the the seltzer game, um, I don't know. I just the reason I liked it was the you know it was like all right, it's something refreshing, it's new, it's hip. The packaging's like cool. It speaks to like you know being kind of laid back, casual, and like the price points there. It's 
it's like perfectly, I don't know. It just fits like that. All right. I'm ready to chill. It's hot out, you know, whatnot. Um, I don't know. I, I just really like everything about high noons, like marketing packaging and like kind of that lifestyle. Whereas like a white call and a truly is like more like you're kind of like, Ugh. So it's, I don't know. High <laughs> noons more of a sophisticated, uh, seltzer. It's the story I tell myself. Though. Sophisticated seltzer. If, um, if they take that and run with it as a marketing campaign, I'll make sure you get paid for it. The sophisticated it, seltzer. It's like sun sips and whatever. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm really, I, I've had new balances for, for as long as I can remember. I don't know why. It's just, I, I thought they were like, like, cause everybody had Nike or Adidas or this or that, but I thought new balance was like, just like, I'm an intelligent like runner, or, you know, I'm, I'm not like just, I, I hate the masses. Like I hate doing what the masses do. And like new balance was, was just enough, not the masses. Like, so that's where I like, like really clung on to. And maybe that's why I like high noons too, because everybody was doing white claws and truly. And I was like, <laughs> it's um, funny you say that, like the, not the masses, because I definitely have sort of that gravitational pull to something that I don't like something that everybody else has. It kind of like back to college when everybody was getting those, those the razors. Remember when the razors were big, the, like the oh, yeah. flip phones. Well, I was one of the first ones that had the windows OS on my phone because if you remember back in college, when you lost your phone, what happened? You get on Facebook or something, you'd be like, hey, I lost my phone. This is my new number or whatever. Like, text me your number because I lost it. Something like that. But I was one of the first ones having Windows Mobile OS, so I could actually back up my contacts to my computer and sync them just in case I ever lost my my phone and just resync it. So that was one thing that, like, I always went against the masses with that. Uh, the other one is that, I know there's a in our Discord. There's a lot of people we talk watches. I'm, I'm granted I don't have the the budget to buy a lot of watches, but I got I got one or two that that I do like. And I've always been one of those people that I understand that like Rolex is the big name in watches. But when I started buying my first luxury watch, I didn't want a Rolex. I just felt that everybody had them. There's they're great watches. They they look good. They hold their value better than anything else. But I just wanted something unique and was different. Um, and so that's why I kind of looked at that as as if where I'm going to spend my money. I just want something that kind of just speaks to me and not basically what everybody else has. Uh, but back to brand loyalty side, what about clothes on clothes side. It took me a while to figure out stuff that actually fit me. So I'm a kind of burp, a big like banana. Burn pursuit t-shirts. And burn pursuit t-shirts. I can actually think my time in tech as getting all the free t-shirts and swag because that's what we did. I started to figure out exactly what t-shirt fits me back. So go in my, my closet, my arsenal of tech t-shirts and try the 30 different brands on and figure out which one I liked. And that's how we landed on the bourbon pursuit t-shirts that we have. But even with that, it's like finding the right jeans. As soon as you find one pair of jeans that fits you, you just keep buying the same pair of jeans over and over again, maybe in a different wash or something, but it's, it's something that, you know, you, you stick pretty loyal to that because it just, it fits you. I'm Levi's five twelve slim fits. That's the only ones that'll fit me perfectly. (laughs) And it took like 20, 25 years to find them. And now I get like four <laughs> pairs a year and that's, but it's, it, it is funny. Like I'm sitting here like the, like I just started, there's this clothing line called Johnny O. And the way I got started was I played in a golf tournament and they gave us like a $200 gift card to Johnny O 
to like use and I bought like a couple polos and now I'm like that's all I buy because it fits me good it's like athletic but kind of surfy but kind of cool like uh, it's comfortable but I look trendy and it's like all it is is uh, it all this marketing and brand loyalty is all the stories we tell ourselves in our heads about things and it's like ridiculous why we do it but it's it's the truth you know we're sitting here like we're creating a story about ourselves and an image about ourselves and it's like how can these products or whatever can complete that image for us. I'm so glad that you found the the perfect polo company to accompany your Levi's and New Balance, dad. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm very trendy and cool, right? <laughs> Total dad mode right there. So I guess in summary, what have we learned after all this? Because I felt like this is a good brainstorming session as we kind of went through here to figure out how, how do you develop ways of, of brand loyalty? And I think we just narrowed it down on, on a few different things. One is you've got experience. Two, it's a product that fits a budget and a price and it's good. And then three, I think it just comes down to story marketing. I think those are the, the three pillars of, of what it takes to be able to, to create maybe the perfect product or the perfect, perfect storm to be able to create that brand loyalty. Yeah, because I think of as a whiskey consumer and you, once you move past like Sazerac and whatnot because you're never going to find them. And, and it's fantastic whiskey, but whatever. It was always when I was trying to find things or buy things, I was trying to tell myself what is, you know, as Brian was talking about, what is like available, affordable, but people aren't like going crazy over. I can find it. Like, how can I be smarter than the most consumers from as a whiskey? Like, what bottles can I buy and share with friends that people are going to think I'm smart? I'm smart. Of, <laughs> that's that's well, the one thing. It's like when I see that bottle, this this guy, he's got, he's got a well, pretty high GPA. No, not not like <laughs> academically intelligent because I'm far from that. I'm but sure. Like, I'm, a, I'm sure his ACT scores were through the roof. No, they weren't. I think I got like a <laughs> 15, 16 or some sub twenties. So I was a terrible student. Not smart, but like a, an intelligent whiskey <laughs> buyer. I'm that's, just kidding. That's the story I would tell myself is like, okay, what are those brands that in the bottles that I could put on my shelf, sh- share it with friends, and they're like, oh, yeah, that is good. You know, it's not just Weller 107 or Pabby 12 or whatever. All right, guys. So if you are looking for after this episode any fashion tips, you can email Ryan at PursuitSpirits.com. <laughs> but if you have podcast topics, or questions for the guys outside of that, you can email podcast at PursuitSpirits.com. Thanks again for listening to another exciting episode here at Behind the Pursuit, and we look forward to catching you on the next episode. Until next time, everybody, we'll see you all later. Toodles. Toodles.